Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode of the Bear Stalk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink. Your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink. Spelled like Sports Drink, but without the vowels. So S P R T S D R N K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. <laughs> What's up, guys? We have arrived at the show that I promised earlier, and, uh, you know, you guys kind of guilted me into giving you a, a review for week three instead of saving it for this episode. But this was the episode that was promised. Our good friend Lauren Cox from Locked on Bears was here to help us review the, the preseason and kind of react to the 53-man roster all three or four of them that have been, you know, modified since the uh, original came out on Tuesday. All of the waiver moves that Ryan Poles has been up to, who's been pushed to IR and, and all that kind of stuff. Plus, we look ahead a little bit. One last look at the schedule after having some context as to what this team could possibly look like uh, going into the season because uh, when we talked to Lauren in July, we didn't know anything. And that was one of the things where it's like, I can't wait for the season to start so we can start answering some of these questions about what we have with this team, what this offense is going to look like. And now here we are about a month and a half later with some context to be able to answer some of those questions. I mean, a lot of them are still out there because we haven't seen with him, him with Byron Pringle. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of Darnell Mooney, but he's made some nice catches. Uh, you know, Valus Jones Jr. and so on and so forth. Just not a lot, uh, you know, we, we've seen some, so we can answer some of these questions, a little bit more context into what we can look forward to uh, in the season. But, uh, you know, we reviewed the preseason, what we liked, what we, what we look forward to, uh, and all that kind of stuff. We talk about the roster uh, and looking forward, again, one last glance at the schedule. So uh, lots to get to. Let's go ahead and dive right in. This is myself and Lauren Cox doing the 2022 preseason review episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hang up the telephone. I hear the dial tone. out loud tonight. Preseason comes to a close. We are 10 days away from Bears 49ers at Soldier Field to finally kick off the regular season. And because we've got two weeks between now uh, the end of the preseason and the start of the regular season, I thought we'd bring our good friend Lauren Cox from Locked On Bears back on the show to help us kind of review the preseason and, uh, you know, what are we on the ninth or tenth version of the roster uh, already because Ryan Poles just can't help himself. Lauren, welcome back, man. We got a, we got a task ahead of us tonight. Yeah, well, not as big of a task as Ryan Pohl seemed to have working through that <laughs> roster. But, yeah, it was a, a lot happened this preseason. It was anything but quiet this year, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I was um, – I mentioned on, on, on a podcast that I did on, uh, on Monday that, um, you know, 
for the the off season, I would classify the off season uh, as boring, but the preseason has been anything but. With the you know the Tevin Jenkins stuff and uh, the injuries and our you know one receiver after another going down and all that kind of stuff was well how is the how are they going to play in the preseason who's going to stay what's the offensive line going to look like it's like ever since we got done with the draft it's just been you know all the way from OTAs and with the Tevin Jenkins thing all the way up until now it's just been. The Bears making headlines, or at least in, in, in our world anyway, the, the people that follow the Bears extensively like we do, is never, it hasn't been a dull moment since uh, after the draft. Yeah, and I think some of that should have been expected because it's you know new regime and wanted to do so much turnover and get guys in there. But you know we couldn't have necessarily expected that Tevin Jenkins situation to play out the way it did. And we maybe didn't fully expect, or maybe we should have expected, but didn't expect the Roquan Smith situation to devolve the way that it did either. Right. So there, there were some extra twists and turns in there, even beyond what hindsight maybe should have given us. Yeah, I mean, that certainly made things a bit more interesting, the the hold-in uh, that he was doing, you know, that he showed up for camp but would not be participating in anything on the field. But he's sitting in uh, on meetings. I think he was even working out with his with his teammates as far as like in the weight room and everything. But as far as like stepping on the field and actually taking reps, he wasn't going to do that until he had a, a new contract. And then there was the, <laughs> the trade uh, request. And then the, the buddy of his or whatever the hell that was calling around to teams illegally making trade, a uh, trade requests or, or trade uh, offers or, or whatever. It was just, you know, never a dull moment when Roquan's around. Yeah. Business advisor, St. Omni. Uh, oh, not an agent, Lord. but a someone who Roquan says has the best his best interest in mind. But it's nice, at least, that it seems like both sides have been able to pretty pretty effectively say, "All right, pause, no more negotiation, just football." And even Ryan Pohl said at his press conference on Thursday that, like, yeah, like he's kind of been impressed with the way that Roquan can just kind of say, "All right, like we're done with that, and we're full focus on the season, not going to let any of that other stuff linger until you know we get to January, and then negotiations pick up again." Right. Oh, and, and by the way, just so you know, the uh, the 53-man roster that you sent me went to my spam folder. That's why, that's why I didn't see it. So, yeah, I'm always trying to spam you. I was trying there to read it is. Car's extended warranty, and yeah. uh, we, can, we can help you out with the new warranty. Nice. So let's talk about this, uh, this preseason uh, that we've uh, been sitting through uh, so far. I mean, you know, we've... We, we, we open with that game against the Kansas City Chiefs, and um, it was more like watching the team last year. It's like you saw a flash here and there, like and, and specifically Justin Fields. You saw him do a great thing here and then make a bad decision there kind of thing. They were only on the field for about a dozen reps or so uh, in that first uh, game, and, you know, left a little to be desired. Like, we still saw the things that it's like, oh, man, Justin Fields, what a special player. And then there were also moments of he took a sack there, he held on to the ball a little bit too long there, uh, and all that kind of stuff. It, it just kind of made you feel it, like knee-jerk reaction to seeing that. That looked exactly like last season, so I don't. it doesn't look like much has changed after the first game. Yeah, and that's to be expected, right? I mean, a lot of different moving parts coming together. I think the Bears had, like, it was over 50% of their roster was brand new players. And, of course, oh, yeah. even the returning players are learning a brand new system. I mean, really, really only Economia St. Brown and, and Lucas Patrick would be the only ones that really knew the system. And Patrick wasn't even participating at that point. So right. 
we, you know, we shouldn't have expected them or anything to come in as a well-oiled machine, but we did see the types of preseason level improvement that we were hoping for going through the next two preseason games. Yeah, and it was a, a weird mix of uh, sitting and playing veterans that Matt Eberflus and company have been, you know, portraying so far. Like, we didn't see Robert Quinn in the first game, but we saw him in Seattle for, you know, however many plays the starters were in uh, in that one. We didn't see David Montgomery for the first two uh, preseason games. We we haven't, I mean, as due to injury, we haven't seen Byron Pringle or, uh, you know, uh, well, most of the wide receivers, uh, you know, and everything. Nikhil Harry suffered that ankle injury, and he's now officially on IR for the first four games, at least, uh, of the season uh, and everything. So it was just like a weird mixture of, you know, veterans playing and sitting uh, in the preseason versus uh, Matt Nagy treating the uh, the preseason like it was dynamite. It could go off at any second. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it. I think it's good to get some of the younger players that extra time that, like, yeah, Robert Quinn doesn't need to be out there and Roquan right. doesn't need to be out there. And if it was a regular season game, I would bet a lot of those injured players would have been good enough to go with mm-hmm. the game had actually mattered. But instead, you know, we got to see a lot of the young offensive linemen they drafted that, that need a lot of that time or the young defensive backs that played their way onto roster spots and kicked a lot of the veteran players off. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but it's a it's a younger 53-man roster now, and a lot of it was new guys coming in you know, relatively young and kicking out some of, the, some of the older guys on the roster. Well, that was the thing about that Kansas City game is that it's like starters versus starters. The Bears lost 14 14- to nothing, but then in the second half, when our when we emptied the benches to see how the kids can play, we shut them out nineteen to nothing, and a star was born in Jack Sanborn, uh, which of course made tennis sent a shiver down most Bear fan spines. We go like, okay, there's the guy I'm going to fall in love with. That's going to be the first cut when they make it down to the 53 man roster. It happens every single year. Every single year. But you know, this year they kept like what, three or four undrafted rookie free agents and then brought in a couple of more on waivers after that? I mean, it's they, this regime is clearly willing to say, younger players, we're going to ride through with you and develop it and, and ho- hope that this coaching staff can continue to bring more out of those players than, than what we've seen so far. It's a beautiful thing, man. It really is. I mean, and it, it flies in complete opposition of what we had to endure last year when when Jermaine Afidi and Jason Peters are starting ahead of Larry Baraman and and Tevin Jenkins in a you know in a f- week 15 matchup against the Seahawks where it absolutely does not matter who wins uh, or loses it's like this is about improving your football team at this point in the year and seeing what we have for next year Jason Peters nor Jermaine Afidi is going to be on the team next year we knew that then and instead Jenkins and Baram are on the bench watching and Jermaine Afidi's a captain against the Seahawks for Christ's sake when he, when he shouldn't even be on the field so I mean it's really nice to see the you know well I mean like right now we signed Riley Reef. he's gonna get with incentives 10 million dollars this year but he's our swing tackle right now because apparently the, the philosophy that they're going with is if the young guy and the veteran on the same plane we're going with the young guy because that's who's going to be starting uh, next Sunday against the 49ers, Riley Reef's going to be on the sideline watching, not playing. And he might not hit that full $10 million of incentive. I, no, I, think I don't think he will, actually. The base is $3 million, and yeah. if, he, if he doesn't play a single snap all season, I think that's about all he would get. And, and that's probably best-case scenario as far as player development in Chicago. The, the one thing I'd say is that the offensive line is the one position right now that I 
I certainly am always going to play my best five offensive linemen, but but I, I find myself kind of wishing for or wanting the veterans in there only because it's so important to have the a, a good, consistent offensive line for Justin Fields because his development, I think, for me is a bigger priority than the development of Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum and the other young offensive linemen. So, like, if Borum and Jenkins are just clearly better than the veterans, then that's great. But if, if they're going to be up and down and the veterans would be – a little bit more consistent. I, I would rather have the maximum consistency of offensive line and worry about developing the rest of them later only because it would prioritize Justin Fields' development a little bit more as opposed to going with a younger offensive line that might mess up more and, and grow more as they mess up. But but those mistakes have a bigger impact on Fields' ability to develop, which still feels more important to me. Yeah, and that's the thing about offensive lines, man. It, they're, it's, it, it's a fragile unit because the chemistry is so important uh, with offensive lines. When I, when I played, when I was in high school and, and the one year that I played in college, the offensive line coach, you know, always preached the same thing. You're the team within the team. And we're the, we're, you know, we're the steam that drives the engine here as far as like, if we don't do our jobs, nobody else can do theirs. So, you know, putting that together. And even though it's been Sam Mustafer, who's been admirably filling in for uh, Lucas Patrick while he's dealing, recovering from that thumb injury, when Patrick comes back, it's almost like hitting the reset button on the development that they've had. Like, yeah, maybe he's been in the room watching the film and all that kind of stuff, but he hasn't been on the field in practice uh, taking the reps like he had been uh, before. They've been developing that chemistry with Sam Mustafer as the center. They're going to have to start over again when Lucas Patrick is ready to come back. At the very least, Lucas Patrick is one of the few players that comes in with that experience in the system. Right. So it's not like he's coming from some other offense or even just last year's offense and having to then learn on the fly in week one. Like if, of all the positions to have a player injured and coming back late, to have it be a guy who was with the offensive coordinator last year is a, a massive, massive silver lining. Yeah, absolutely. So, but to dig a little deeper on that Kansas City game, we saw really nice things from Trevor Simeon. Uh, he threw the ball very well in that. And I really liked what I saw, like just like the the route combinations and you know the things that we were doing uh, offensively. Like we we actually ran Lauren successful reverses uh, in that game. Like they actually gained decent yardage. And when we ran screen plays and stuff, we didn't have nine defenders in the backfield as soon as the receiver uh, caught the football. It's just like we look efficient and competent here. It's almost like I'm watching another team. <laughs> it's amazing what like a real professional coaching staff can do, right? It's like, yeah, they weren't lighting the world on fire in the ground game exactly. I mean, they were running effectively, but not running away with it or anything. Right. It was just, it, it looked, it was kind of like as advertised. Like, oh, okay, this is this is what it's like to be with a, with a real system and a real coaching staff and and real talent, young talent starting to come together on the team. This is, I could I could take more of this for sure. Well, like the touchdown pass that Simeon threw, I think the Tajay Sharp. Or Dante Pettis, one of the two, where whereas like from my view, he was open at the snap of the ball with the route combination that they they had three receivers bunched over on the right side, and I think uh, I think it was Sharp. He was the, the the receiver in the middle. He runs up, cuts to the corner of the end zone. He's wide open. Simeon throws him the ball. It, it, how long has it been, if ever, that you've seen a Chicago Bear wide receiver get schemed open versus like oh the defender made a mistake and he's wide open. Oh, what, you didn't like when the, the six-yard curl route was schemed open? They'd be running back with the quarterback. That's an open completion for those Absolutely. four yards on third and 11. Yeah. 
God damn, I hated that offense so much, man. It was so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, here it is. It's third and six. We're going to throw a quick screen to the right where he starts four yards behind the line of scrimmage. So it's he doesn't need six yards for a first down. He needs ten. So, yeah, let's do that. Not to mention nobody's blocking and four defenders are closing in on him. Yeah, but you've got to make the effort to score the extra – to get the extra, you know, yardage and get the first down. It's always a key for success. So Matt Nagy said, I schemed him open. Players got to make plays after the catch. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's why he's the quarterback coach for the Kansas City Chiefs and not in his fifth year as head coach of the Chicago Bears. God bless it. So, but, yeah, I mean, it was it was really interesting. And it's like I didn't I, – I, I actually had my dad here that weekend, and we uh, I actually had him as a, my co-host to review the game. And I told him – uh, and I and it's like I'm I'm not saying this and hopefully this isn't a bad omen, but it actually reminded me of the first game in the preseason under John Fox, where you, yeah. you saw some decent things from the starters, but it was like the back half of the roster that really played well. Like you saw the hits principle all over the place with the young guys trying to make roster spots as opposed to you know the effort that we saw from the start. Not that they didn't give maximum effort it's just that we saw way more out of the young guys off the bench than we did from our starters in that one and it kind of made you feel like hey these guys are buying in everything that Eberflus has been talking about for these last few months we saw on the field in the second half of that Kansas City game I agree the the feeling feels similarly and and I think notably in a good way that the, the difference there is that the the roster that John Fox came into with 2015 was still a lot of the same team from that dreadful 2014 team. Right. Like there, there had still been a decent amount of turnover, but it was like it was still largely a lot of the same kind of pieces there. And some of the new veterans and stuff they tried to bring in to turn over the roster didn't pan out as well. Some of those early Ryan Pace free agent signings are woof when you look back on them. Oof, but yeah. but but the key being difference being now is like not only do you see that similar kind of energy, but you also have fresh blood and, and young ascending type players that can give you optimism that it's sustainable even if there's going to be some ups and downs along the way that there's a long-term trajectory of growth as opposed to those John Fox team teams kind of always felt like they were in transition like they were still kind of getting out of the Cutler stuff and of course at wide receiver the Alshon Jeffrey leaving after a little while and Kevin White's I mean across the roster we could get don't want to rehash the past too much there but yeah there's so many different places where they were like one foot in, one foot out on old players and new players, and Ryan Poles has just kind of been pulling the Band-Aid off as fast as he can. Well, dude, I mean, I, I, I did the, the math earlier today, and after the six players that we picked up yesterday and, you know, had to, had to make uh, cuts to make room for those guys, there are only 19 guys left from last year's team under Ryan Pace. 19 from, uh, well, I think, what, 40-something players that he started with in the offseason, there's 19 left. And it's like, that's, it's going to be no time at all. Like, we're going to be in year two, and he's going to be have, he's going to, there's going to be no no semblance of Ryan Pace anywhere near. Like, that's what he thought of the roster he inherited. Two-thirds of it is gone. Yeah, it's pretty much going to be like the either the top draft picks or the later draft picks that played well, like the, the guys who are for sure going to linger, you know, yeah. Field, Mooney, Jalen Johnson, Cody Whitehair, Roquan Smith, Eddie, ja- well, even Eddie Jackson, is, well, we'll see. But like the, <laughs> the main guys, it's just like, oh, the, the big hits that Ryan Pace made, those are the only handful of players that Ryan Poles is probably going to keep long term here. Yeah. So we go on to Seattle. 
Uh, the the offense is only out there, or the starters, I should say, only out there for one drive, about a 10-play drive that unfortunately ends in a field goal. But we saw a couple of really nice plays, one in particular that I loved, and I'm sure that you you know know the play exactly that I'm talking about. Fields rolls out to his left, and not only does he is he rolling out to his left and he make a throw, he stops, turns his hip, delivers a strike uh, to Cole Komet for a first down, like 15, 20-yard gain. Uh, whatever it was, it was like that's the that's the stuff that we we were dying to see last year under Nagy that he just flat out refused to do. He wanted Justin Fields to be Patrick Mahomes and just be a straight up uh, pocket passer and rifle the ball all over the place, uh, as opposed to getting him out there, getting him out of tra- out of out of the pocket, out, away from the pressure and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that was like my one of my favorite plays of the entire preseason. It felt like as the preseason went on. You saw even game to game development, mm-hmm. Justin Fields. Like Absolutely, not that, yeah. It wasn't like he drastically changed as a quarterback or anything, but from the first preseason game even to the third, like the pocket presence, especially, and, and the footwork seemed to be much more consistent. He was aiming to his targets, and you know, like it felt like in the first couple of games, he was like trying to oscillate between like the two extremes of like holding onto it too long or leaving the pocket too early. And he's like, okay, this play held it too long, so the next play he gets out too early, so then he holds on too long, and you slowly sort of, you know, Go back and forth till you find that middle ground of oscillating between too long and too short. And it felt like he keeps getting closer to that the more experience we're just seeing him have under center with a real coaching staff and a real offense that is much more catered to his skill set. Yeah, and and, and the other, other thing that um, was fun to watch was on Friday – uh, Bears Twitter, because that's always an awesome place to hang out the day after a game is Bears Twitter, uh, <laughs> was the um, – was the people kind of coming to the offensive line's defense during that first drive? Well, and I think even you did a little bit of a breakdown, if I'm not mistaken, where it's like, yeah, there were, there were 10 plays on the drive. I think there were like maybe five or six passes uh, on the drive, and the pressure that Fields was under wasn't always the fault of the offensive line. And it's like, okay, here Khalil Herbert missed a uh, block. Here, you know, nobody picked up this guy. Or, you know, maybe it should have been the tight end or or whatever it was. It's like everybody just ease off the offensive line because when you really go back and you look, more times than not they were doing their job. And Seattle was blitzing like crazy, and somebody else was missing their assignment and picking it up. It's kind of a double-edged thing there because it was like, yes – the offensive line was not nearly as bad as it looked, but at the same time, it was like, wait, these tight ends and running backs are supposed to be what helps this offensive line right. when it does struggle. And now those guys weren't looking particularly capable. And yes, preseason game, small sample size. We're not going to overreact to it. We're not going to think it's doom and gloom then that those guys are just going to be terrible in the, in the regular season. But yeah, it was like, all right, there's there's more that goes into pass protection here than just the five guys on the offensive line. And, oh, those guys are also continually getting better as they get used to each other. And the younger guys get more experience and more under their belt and have just seen more of what opposing defenses are going to throw at them. Yeah, and what was really interesting about Seattle was this was the first time that we'd seen Tevin Jenkins at guard. And basically he took to it like a fish to water because the guy that we thought we drafted – that you know, literally shoved uh, whatever is whatever his name was from te- uh, Texas into his own bench, where he's literally taking out people on the sidelines and everything. Saw him doing some of those things uh, against the Seahawks in his first action uh, at guard. Yeah, we saw the same thing against the Browns too. There was a play. Oh where yeah, yeah. Got to the we'll we'll get to that. I trust me, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was just like okay. You know, it seems like uh, Baram on the right and Braxton Jones, God bless that kid, uh, is going to be our starting left tackle with Riley Reef uh, on the swing. Well, we've got this 
this, you know, seemingly talented offensive lineman that's not doing anything, and we've got issues at right guard. So why don't we just go ahead and slide in? This is the kind of common sense we would not have seen from the Bears under Nagy and Pace. And I know that we keep beating down on them, but we had four years of this where things look so obvious and like you would talk about on your show, I would talk about on mine, and then what would make me even more crazy is that I would hear uh, Hogan Johns talk about it. We hear Olin Krutz and, and the guys on the after show uh, talk about it and everything. is like, how is it so goddamn obvious to everybody except the guys in the organization that can actually make these changes? It seems like common sense will prevail under this new regime. A small sample size, of course, but it just seems like here's what makes sense, and that's what they're actually doing versus, you know, like them doing the opposite just to spite us or something. Yeah, how many times under the previous regime was like, was there an offensive line change? Like when the 53-man rosters were finalized or right before week one, whether it's Jason Peters coming in late or you know Kyle Long moving around at the last minute or even before that. Like I appreciated that, yes, the Tevin Jenkins change was a little bit late and a little bit abrupt, but he still had two preseason games to play that spot and, right. and a period for the team to evaluate. Truly, was he better there or did they just get to the end of the preseason and say, ah, crap. We, we need to move him over because we just don't have something we really like at that position. It, I, I would have liked to settle it sooner, but at least it feels like they got a five that they liked, albeit Lucas Patrick will, will fill back in for injury. But at least the, the other the non-injury five that they like and seem to be content with sticking with that, at least for now, as the regular season gets started. And, you know, there's always room for things to change as the year goes on. But I, I like that they've given him an actual chance to build some cohesion and not just moving everybody around like they're just puzzle pieces that you can you can. I guess you can't move puzzles. That's a bad analogy because you can't just move puzzles. You know what I mean, though. Che- <laughs> checkers. I don't know. Chess pieces, maybe? Sure. Whatever. Yeah, why not? Uh, We're moving on. But, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> but, the, but the thing that was impressive was that we really kind of saw the disconnect between who the people say are going to be the worst team in the NFL and that a team that is likely going to be one of the worst teams in the league uh, this year. And, of course, everyone's, you know, can't falling over themselves saying how the Bears are going to be the worst team, even after the preseason, still predicting three and fourteen and, and all that kind of stuff. It's like, did you see us against Seattle? How bad a football team does T. Carroll have out there in Seattle? He doesn't have Russell Wilson uh, anymore. DK Metcalf held him hostage until he got his uh, money, and he's literally all they got out there right now. It's like, what what do you think Seattle's going to do? Where they're actually going to be better than Chicago this year? I just don't understand it. Uh, they get the Pete Carroll benefit of the doubt, whereas, you know, Everflew's first year head coach plus roster that doesn't have name recognition. I mean, I'm not saying that the hate for the Bears is justified anyway, but if we're trying to look for an explanation as to why some of these other like bad teams aren't getting quite the same level, there, there's you can usually find like because the Bears are so new and they've got all the turnover and they don't have the they don't have the name recognition that you know, Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll will at least get something out of them, right? Even if they're terrible across the board that's the that's the feeling it's like well they got pete carroll he's won a super bowl so he's got currency i guess that eberflus doesn't have yeah uh right now rookie rookie uh general manager rookie head coach and all that kind of stuff so i you know but it's still like there's got to be limits dude you watch the preseason do you really see the worst team in the nfl in what you saw with the bears and what they did in those three games like give me a break so but i mean it's like we we put our foot down on seattle we were winning 24 to nothing in the third quarter before they finally scored. Uh, we, we had a really awesome uh, punt re- or um, a fumble, like a muff punt resulted into a, you know, a touchdown by Elijah Hicks, who I forgot was our seventh-round draft choice or one of, what, four 
uh, this year. <laughs> um, and it's like, Elijah Hicks, why do I know that name? It's like, oh, he's a draft pick, dumbass. That's what it is. Like, right. That's right. You know, it's like with all the turnover and everything. Like I said, I think we talked about this when I had you on for the uh, for the preview uh, in July. It was just like, I don't know half these guys' names. It's just the preseason's going to be really interesting because I'm going to be constantly, like, looking for numbers to figure out who's who because I'm not going to know who any of these guys are. It was primed for a guy like Jack Sanborn to just rise up and make Absolutely. everyone know his name. Like that that was what's kind of the cool thing about it. It was like besides like Fields Mooney, Komet Montgomery and like Roquan Robert Quinn, like there was like a smattering of guys that we all knew, but then it was just wide open for the new training camp hero to rise up. It was just open opportunity for everyone for the Braxton Jones of the world to yeah. make their like it was just it was cool how it was just felt like a not quite a wild west but just a blank canvas for players to truly make a name for themselves. Yeah, I mean, but it also says a lot about the roster that Ryan Poles inherited, or at least how he felt about it. Because man, there's there there are barely remnants of it left on the on the current football team that we have uh, now. So I mean, it says a lot. But um, so we move on to last Saturday, and boy, did they send us off on a high note. Um, you know, they go three and out on the first drive, talking about fields and the, and the offense. Uh, and then, uh, like, Iberfus wasn't messing around when he said they were going to play the whole half. They come out uh, and, and three scoring drives in, in the next four uh, series to win the first half 21 to 6 uh, against Cleveland. And Justin Fields, 14 of 16, a buck 56, three touchdowns, no picks, like a 149 quarterback rating. It was just like, can we just fast forward to September 11th right now? I I want this guy playing San Francisco right this moment, not three weeks from now. But at least he was able to carry that momentum, right? It was the yeah. last preseason game. It wasn't like that happened in the middle, and then at the last one they played him a snap, a drive, and nothing really happened, right? He can ride some of that high off there. But even even on those drives, I think he had two total incomplete passes, and one of them was where he threw it away yeah. intentionally. It's like he, he was like – he was then not even like inaccurate on more than one pass the entire <laughs> half. They even they took him out before the two minute try because he had three yeah. touchdowns. They just said screw it. He doesn't even need the whole first half, even though that was the plan. And boy, it was it was about as impressive and just exactly what the doctor ordered. Well, I mean that first touchdown pass to 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 Ryan Griffin, it was another one of those where I felt like he was schemed open. And then I, I really loved the throw from fields because you got two defenders closing in and fields put it in there at just the right velocity that or velocity, I should say, that, that that Griffin was able to make the catch and then brace himself for whoever was going to get hit. He didn't set his his receiver up to get plowed uh, by the defender, which could have you know caused an incompletion. And there was so much progress, like with his eyes, that you saw on on both the Ryan Griffin touchdown and the Dante Pettis touchdown. Yes. Like he's and first of all, not only are the Bears, I think, just out of the red zone, but certainly just outside of the ten yard line. So it was it was not like you know, a, a type goal line situation, but a, a more of a downfield type of pass. But like you saw in both of those plays, when he's dropping back, his eyes start to the right half of the field. Like he's looking that way, knowing in the back of his mind what the receiver on his left side is going to do. So he can read the coverage, sort of keep the safety stuck in the middle of the field because his eyes are going to the right. So the safety can't go too far to the left because fields keeps looking that look, looking right, works his way back to the left. Great footwork to step in, aim his feet at the target, and throw and deliver a couple of really nice balls. Got to give credit to Dante Pettis for the route running on that play, mm-hmm. too. But, like, it, it looked like real progress from fields. And it, it, for me, it was like proof of concept. It was like, hey, if this Bears offense can give Justin Fields time to throw, he's going to light teams up. It's yeah. a big if, but it, it proves that, like, this can work 
if the conditions are right. Well, for me, proof of concept came on the next drive with the touchdown pass to Cole Komet. And he, he, you know, he's in the pocket, he breaks the pocket, he's rolling out right, and it looks like the defender bit on the possibility of Justin Fields running, which left Cole Komet wide open. You know, Fields sees him, makes the throw down the field, and then it's, it's so easy uh, for, for Komet. All, literally all he has to do is catch the ball because the job's already done. You're standing in the end zone. There's no one anywhere near you. Boom touchdown the fact that they feared your quarterback's feet left you wide open and undefended for an e- for the easiest touchdown we've seen the bears score in a long time and if i remember correctly it was a similar route concept that they ran earlier in the game and then they came back to it and it, it spoke so much to like what this new offensive system is doing that they're building plays off of each other and it feels like there's a rhythm and an intention oh, and a man. meaning behind there's the that word plays they call and it, yeah. it just it feels great establishing a rhythm that's just you know how many times do you hear Nagy say we just couldn't get a rhythm going we just couldn't establish a rhythm with the with it you know with my incoherent you know play calls and the fact that I I dumped a brand new 800 page playbook on them that week that they couldn't memorize in time uh for the game there's like these guys actually they appear to know what they're doing like all of them not just the quarterback who's got to tell everybody where to go literally everyone on the field looks like they know what they're supposed to be doing it's like, oh, we couldn't get rid of them. Why not, Coach? Why do you think that is? <laughs> what do you think the what, what do you think's happening here? Why why not? Yeah. So it's uh, it was a beautiful thing to watch, and I was like, I think that 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 play with Cole Komet, for me, like you said, was proof of concept. Like this is what what the potential of this offense is with Justin Fields. He's rolling out, and you have to make a decision. Are you going to – do you think he's going to run? Are you going to go after him? Or are you going to stick with your defender and allow Justin Fields to possibly get a first down? And that momentary pause was just enough time for Fields to float it over your head to a wide-open Cole Komet for a touchdown. It's like, to me, that's what the potential danger of this offense could be for opposing defenses. And it's, it's nice that even in a preseason situation, it still felt like it was – like repeatable that it was yeah. it was translatable right this wasn't just like oh the bears were going up against you know brown's backup players and oh when they go against a real defense x y or z won't won't happen right it's like it's specific to the play calling and specific to the traits of the player that maybe maybe dante pettis isn't as open on his route or maybe the pass protection isn't as good but you, you saw that like this actual skill sets of the players that the bears have regardless of the opponent combined with the Bears coaching staff, is something that can and should work when it is able to function at its highest. And I think after watching these three games as a whole, the MVP of the preseason would be the coaching staff. Like, they just look prepared from the top of the roster to the bottom, especially in that third game uh, against Cleveland. Is like, regardless of who was out there, everybody seemed to be, you know, flying to the ball. The hits principle was obvious uh, and taking place, especially on the defensive uh, side of things, guys flying to the ball, creating turnovers and uh, and things like that. It, it was just, it was a really cool thing to watch. And it's, you know, God help me, man. I'm optimistic about what we could see. Now, I'm not sitting here saying we're going to make the playoffs or make a deep run or anything like that. You and I talked about this in, in, in over the summer. It was just like, I, I, this year will equate success to the fact that we're competitive in these games as opposed to just beating the teams that suck and getting blown out by the teams that are better than us. It's like, I, I want to be in, in every game uh, and everything. And, and, I, and I mentioned um, 
uh, before. I think I even said this to you at one point. Instead of feeling bad about the wins like we did so many times under Nagy, as crazy as it sounds, I want to feel I want to feel good about the losses this year. Yeah, you know, like if we have to lose to Green Bay, if we have to lose to San Francisco, I want to go down fighting and feel like we made a step in this game, as opposed to like, well, they put their throat, you know, put their foot on our throats and they left it there until the, you know, the, the gun went off and they had to legally take it off kind of thing. It just, <laughs> I want to be, I want to feel good about the losses instead of feeling bad about the wins. Like we did under Nagy. It just, it just, it made it so difficult to get through the season when all you can do after a win is complain. That was one of the things Ryan Pulse said this week. It was like, like after the 53 man roster, he, they, like he got asked like, you know, wins and losses might not be the the best way to evaluate this team. So, like, how are you looking to measure this team? And he said resilience. Like, I want to see these guys, whether they win or lose, have that same steadiness, come back fighting just as hard every single game, every single snap, be the same team, snap in, game in, game out, everything. And I, I think that's a really good way of, of looking at it. Like, yeah. feel encouraged by the losses, even if, you know, even if, even if the result's not what you want, that there's still that, that feeling about the team heading in the right direction. Yeah. So th- that you feel like you have something to build on despite not getting the result that you wanted, I, th- I think is, is going to be important uh, this year. Like I still can't wrap my head around the people who can just confidently say the Bears are going to be 3-14 and 14, uh, this year. But it's like I'm not sitting here saying we're going to be 14-3 and three and run the table and you know it's going to be you know, a memorable season or a historic or, or whatever. But I don't think we're going to get laughed off the field the way that we have the last couple seasons. Yeah, it's. I wonder where the line is going to be. Where it's like they're not going to get laughed off the field, but you know, national media types that might just look at the Bears' record will again not laugh them off the field, but just just not maybe not give them the the moral victory. I mean, moral victory is not the right word, but you know that kind of idea, right? That they won't they'll see loss yeah. and they apply more context beyond that. Right. That's what I'm anticipating. So we get to our fifty-three man roster. Uh, on Tuesday, um, were there any surprises for you when it finally uh, came out? Because uh, aside from them cutting Mario Edwards, which seemed like an obvious move because he didn't see the field once uh, during uh, preseason and he was nursing an injury the whole time, there weren't really a lot of surprises on that final roster for me. Yeah, there was nothing that was like, you know, jaw-droppingly shocking. But I, I think the three moves that stood out the most to me was yeah first Mario Edwards was the first one where I was like well yeah he, he didn't he didn't play at all and he's he is a holdover from the past regime but I still thought they they were a little thin on interior pass rushers and he had some versatility to play tackle or end and I thought he would still be valuable enough and he wasn't like super expensive so like, not shocking but just like well okay like that's that's interesting then there was Michael Schofield the veteran yeah you know, they signed him at the beginning of training camp we kind of penciled him in as a starter and then Tevin Jenkins beat him out but I still thought He's he started games at guard and tackle before. He's a veteran. He's experienced. That even if he wasn't going to be your week one starter anymore, that you would still keep him as a consistent veteran if Jenkins struggles or gets hurt again. Because Lord knows he's had multiple injuries now early in his career, and it would be nice to have a, a true veteran guard instead of at the time was both a sixth and a seventh round picks where your two backup guards. That since has changed a little bit from there, but right. still surprised to see him go. And then Thomas Graham Jr. Similar thing as Mario Edwards, where it's like. Yeah, he didn't play at all, and he was a holdover, but he's young and talented, and you kind of thought it's still worth holding on to a young and talented player who could still be a, a prime member of your team, but instead they go with some other young and talented guys that they brought in, even if they're undrafted rookie free agents who've never played a regular season game. It felt like Graham should still be ahead of them, but not losing sleep over it. 
Yeah. So we get to sit and simmer with that uh, for a day. And, and I think I anticipated at least one move on, on Wednesday. And, and for me, that, that move was going to be uh, Nikhil Harry uh, being pushed over to the IR. And then maybe we re-sign Isaiah Coulter or uh, Simba Walker, Webster, sorry, Web, Simba Webster uh, to fill in his spot. And instead, <laughs> Ryan Poles claims one-ninth of the roster by bringing in six brand-new guys, including a 2021 first-round pick in, in, in Alex uh, Leatherwood uh, from the Raiders, I mean, who also have a new coach and a GM. And, man, they cut bait on that kid quick, man, because he's with us now. And uh, that was one thing I did not see coming. Yeah, I got I got some flack for this coming off as negative, but it just, it just feels to me like when you get to the end of training camp and you move on from like six guys and bring in six new players that were all not good enough to make other teams, but you feel they're upgrades over players that are already on your team, it, it seems to be a negative reflection of how Ryan Poles feels his roster. That like yeah, yeah there, there's for each individual case, there are always extenuating circumstances. That Leatherwood, new regime, and wasn't that Leatherwood's a terrible, useless player, just you know, didn't fit with what the Raiders wanted to do, or you know, Armand Watts from the Vikings had some financial considerations. It wasn't that he was terrible. Like you can go through each one and say, Yeah, there's reasons why the teams gave him up. It wasn't just that they're bad players. But like the fact that Ryan Poles looked at his roster and said, All right, six more, you guys get out of here. We're going to take six cast-offs from other team because they weren't good enough to make their, those teams, but they are good enough to make our team because our team is then seemingly worse, at least at those positions, than any of those individual other teams. Because you look around the NFL, the Jaguars claimed five players and the Giants claimed four, and then no one else had more than three. I mean, you know, most teams get one or two guys each year, and it feels like you're more on the same page as the Jaguars and Giants in, in how they feel about their roster right now. But the, the silver lining there is that the Bears roster definitely got better, right, from adding yeah. those six players. Absolutely improved at, at a couple of really key positions where, I mean, I think Armin Watts, a defensive tackle especially, is going to be a, a high-impact, early-impact guy, whereas I think Leatherwood I'm excited about, but that's more of a long-term thing, right? Yeah. He's not jumping absolutely. in the starting lineup right away or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, when, when I first heard about the move, I, I tweeted out that I thought, it was like, you know, that's interesting. It's like knee-jerk reaction. I think Cody Whitehair should be more worried about that move than Tevin Jenkins should be because everyone was saying like, oh, Leatherwood's coming in, possible Jenkins replacement. Like maybe he's still on the trade block kind of thing. It's like, no, you know, I got Cody White here at left guard making 10 million. I think we, we you know, we'd be in a spot to be able to cut him uh, next year. And a guy who's making half as much money, who's about seven, eight years younger and was a beast at Alabama, you know, maybe a change of scenery uh, for a uh, franchise that actually wants him could be a thing. And, you know, 2023, you never know. As of right now, for his first day of practice, he got in like literally like the day of it and did a physical and stuff. They have him at right tackle, and okay. that's where, that's where he played the whole preseason with the Raiders. But of course, last year the Raiders moved him into left guard and tried him, Lord knows, all over. And, and Ryan Paul said, like, we do not have a specific positional home in mind for him just yet. We're gonna see see how he does and coach him up. And but I, I agree with you that I think much like Tevin Jenkins, it's right that they're gonna try and get whether it's next year or, or six weeks from now, they're five best offensive linemen on the field. And if Leatherwood becomes one of those five and Cody Whitehair becomes expendable, then you put Leatherwood at left guard and get your five best offensive linemen on the field. Or if Leatherwood becomes better than Larry Borum and you stay at right tackle or better than Braxton Jones, you put him at left tackle. I mean, I, I think they, more than anything else, they're just going fresh slate, get a talented raw prospect in here, and we'll figure out where to put him later. It's very cutthroat what Ryan Poles is doing. 
You know, it's like even even for the guys that I brought in, there are six guys out there that I think are better than you, so I'm bringing them in, and you guys got to go. Sorry. Uh, and also, this is the crap that that Ryan Pace left behind. I don't like most of this. So, I'm, you know, it because like I said, after he got done doing this, 19 guys left from last year's team, and I think he had something like 48, 49 players on the roster when he took over as general manager. 30 of those guys are gone now. I mean, this unbelievable. And then he claims a seventh guy off of waivers today, the wide receiver from uh, – from Minnesota to take Nikhil's hair, Nikhil Harry's roster spot, who finally went on IR today. Yeah, when you look at the the waiver claims he made, like he in a few more spots, he directly cut Ryan Pace players to bring in his own to add to that yeah, list. He did. cuts Duke Shelley, brings in a cornerback. Cuts Caleb Johnson, the linebacker, brings in Sterling Weatherford, a linebacker. He also cut Joe Thomas, so two linebackers there. But cuts Kyrus Tonga, brings in a new defensive tackle, Armin Watts, and. You know, yeah, he cut his own draft picks at a couple other spots, like at, at guard for bringing Alex Leatherwood and, you know, to get another tight end in there and stuff. But he, he is still clearly kind of saying, like, I have my guys and all the Ryan Pace players had a shot to prove to me that they should stay. But not very many of them outside of the big names have really earned that spot still. Yeah, it was it's it's interesting watching the guy uh, work. I mean, he it, it's like he wants his team on the field as soon as humanly possible where it's just like, this is my football team. There are going to be very few you know, remnants or pieces of evidence that Ryan Pace ever existed in a very short order uh, of time. I mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable uh, what he's done and, and how, the, how he's you know, gone and, and built this roster uh, so far. You know? But it's like he brought a lot of guys back uh, on the practice squad. We did, for some reason, keep Nathan Peterman. Um, I don't understand why. Yeah. I, I it boggles my mind when a seventh-round pick makes the 53-man roster for the 49ers, and we see that the Dolphins, their undrafted rookie free agent, had a great preseason. Like, you can find no-name young quarterbacks that might not ever become starters, but at least they have more potential than Nathan Peterman. Well, honestly, I thought is like, wouldn't it be fun if we picked up Kellen Mond and that can be our developmental guy uh, or whatever? Instead, he's got to be an upgrade over Nathan Peterman. I mean, come on. Yeah, um, Dan Weederer said that there were some in the Bears building that had Kellen Mond like right after Justin Fields, that if they hadn't gotten Fields, he would have been their backup plan in the second round, which, God, can you imagine? Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, what a disaster that would have been. Just not because Mond is a bad player or anything like that, but just be in Nagy's hands, it would have been a disaster. He, he kind of is a bad player. I mean, he's not a great player. We're still figuring out what kind of player he is, but it was not, it was pretty disastrous in Minnesota. <laughs> Not Nathan Peterman level disasters though, and right. that's the problem. That's the thing. So, all right, Darrington Evans, who I, who I saw some nice things from in the preseason, he's on the practice squad. We brought back uh, tight end Chase Allen, Simba Webster, Isaiah Coulter, both signed back to the practice squad. That's a good thing. Uh, Kellen, is it Deesh? Is his last name? I, yeah, I don't know if it's Deesh or Deish. I I don't know how to say it. Is that the one we got from Miami? No, he's on the roster. It was either Arizona or Miami, but he was he was the, he was the one practice squad player that wasn't here in training camp. But he was an athletic freak in the draft. That I can't remember where he came from. Right. So who was the lineman that we picked up from Miami? Was is that the guy that we got from Miami? Because I, I don't see him on the roster. I think so. Okay. Because we picked up an offensive lineman. So it mu- that must be Kellen. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was from the Dolphins. He went to college at Texas A and M in Arizona. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he played with the Dolphins in the preseason. Okay, and then uh, here's a couple of holdovers from Pace: Lachivia Simmons and uh, Dieter Eelson. I'm thinking when Zachary Thomas, the sixth round pick, clears waivers, he will replace 
probably the, those guys. I mean, Eastland's given house his the center. You want to have a third center practicing with you, so he's probably safe until they find another center. But Zachary Thomas at guard, Chavia Simmons at guard. I I would guess that's probably who's going to get the boot there. Yeah, and then uh, Sam Kamara comes back. I've always liked Sam Kamara, so I'm happy to see he's back. Micah do uh, Treadway, who uh, my sister will still not reach out to that kid's uncle to see if I can get a interview or a word uh, or anything. But uh, you know, oh, I'll work on that, uh, I guess. But uh, I told you that, right? Yeah, like a, uh, sort of a loose my, connection there. Yeah, my just- my sister's best friend, like from like kindergarten all through this day, is Micah Do's. Micah Treadway's uncle. Yeah, that's and really cool. Been trying to, like, hey, you know, I got a Bears podcast. How about, you know, the one Chicago Bear you have a direct line to? Maybe hook me up with him and we can have a conversation or whatever. But I don't know. Maybe yeah. What are sisters good for? I, I mean, mean, I'm going home this weekend to spend the holiday with the family, so maybe I could smack her around and knock some sense to her or something, bully her like I did when I was a kid. Yeah, take her calls and run away until she calls Micah Treadway's uncle. Absolutely. That's what I'll do. I'm going to take your Barbie dolls away, and until you give them to you, cook me up, you're not getting them back. Ken's going to be lonely in there. Anyway, uh, Trayvon Coley, who was actually really good during the preseason. He may or may not have led the team in sacks, but uh, he, he got cut. But we brought him back on the uh, practice squad. Demarcus Gates, I, that's, was he on the team, or is he somebody that we signed from someplace else? Yeah, he was the linebacker that they brought in before training camp from the USFL. He was like the leading tackler. Oh, right, right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had some nice flashes with Sanborn in the preseason. Yeah, and then uh, Joe Thomas, Thomas Graham we brought back, Devontae Harris, who saw some good things, and A.J. Thomas is the practice squad. And then you have here probable Zachary Thomas and Kyrus Tonga. I would say maybe 50-50 at best for Tonga and whether or not we bring him back just because it's a 4-3 and not a 3-4. That's he's Tonga's a nose tackle. I don't know if he can play three technique. Yeah, I mean, and they've already got a couple of other defensive tackles on there. You mentioned earlier Micah Treadway and Trevon Coley, so it would probably be Tonga versus Micah Treadway there, and one's Poles undrafted free agent, one's Pace's seventh-round pick. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing he probably won't make it, but Zachary Thomas, much, much more likely there. Right. So there we go. So this is version, what, 3.0 so far? In yeah. the, since the in the 48 hours that we've had a roster. And, you know, by the time people listen to this, there probably will already be something else changing something, <laughs> you know? Yeah, we might have a, a, a guy or two missing from this practice squad to make room for Zach Thomas or or, or, or someone else, uh, you know, that we're pulling off the uh, off the waiver wire here. So, but it's, uh, we're 10 days away, man. And, and honestly, I can say that I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I can't wait for it. To, I mean, it's it's much different than when we were talking, uh, you know, in July, just before training camp was set to start, where it's like I was anxious to start because I was sick of all this. They're the worst team in the NFL noise. I actually wanted to see our guys on the field to see if these guys are right or if they're just talking out of their ass and they've just chosen the Bears to be uh, a bad football team. Uh, now I'm after what I've seen on the field, what I've been hearing from the coaches and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm excited to see this team on the field, and I can't wait to see what uh, what the result's going to be this year. Yeah, we're going to do our best to not overreact to week one because every year wild stuff happens in week one and Absolutely. bad teams and good teams lose, and it doesn't seem to be very reflective on the rest of the season. But I think the, the Trey Lance-Justin Fields measuring stick thing is going to be fun, and we don't have to get into the whole Jimmy Garoppolo still there thing. But it, it's it's going to be a fun matchup to start that, and then, of course, Green Bay after that is going to be the real uh, – yeah. 
wake up call slash measuring stick slash yeah, in, in our legally mandated night game at uh, you know at Lambo on Sunday night football. So that will uh, that will be uh, interesting uh, to say the least. But uh, I, I look forward uh, to all of it, man. I, I can't wait to uh, to finally uh, you know get started and you know like looking at the the schedule one last time before uh, we wrap things up here. Uh, Lauren, it's, you know, San Francisco week one at Green Bay week two, and then home for the Texans uh, on the road for the Giants. I feel pretty confident in saying we should be two and two at that point. At worst, right? I mean, the 49ers are probably a loss, but weird things happen in week one. Packers probably lost, but Texans should be easy. And in theory, by week four, you'd think things are up to speed well enough with this offense that they can beat or this whole team that they can beat the giants. They're, I mean, we're not expecting big things from them either. Right. And then because we're the NFL is living in bizarro land, we're going to Minnesota in October as opposed to waiting until January or late December, uh, week five at Minnesota. And then our two um, national TV games back to back home for the commanders on Thursday night football. And then on the road at new England, um, on Monday Night Football, and of course, everybody knows how much I'm looking forward to week six when we play the Commanders, because that's when the Bears get to debut those sexy orange helmets. <laughs> God. Holy hell are those things goddamn ugly, man. Oh, my God, I hate them so much. <laughs> like, I just, like it, this is my worst nightmare coming to life right here. I, like, I can't even begin orange helmets, orange jerseys. And my dad's like, yeah, just throw in orange pants. I was like, go to hell. I just, that's enough orange as it is not going head to toe. Please don't do that to me. Yeah, I really feel like the orange helmets would be more palatable if it wasn't orange on orange. Like, I'm not saying they'd be good, but if it was, like, the all-whites with orange helmet, like, Oof. you know, like, I, you, can, you can help the orange helmets a little bit, and the Bears chose to do the opposite. Yeah, they, they went all in uh, on the orange. It's, it's an abomination. I absolutely hate it. Uh, and then we get to do it two weeks later at Dallas. So we, we get to officially be the Chicago Pumpkins on Halloween Eve in, in Dallas on, on week number week number eight. That's an interesting stretch there at Minnesota, home for Washington, at New England, at Dallas. So three road games out of four. And um, it's a lot of interesting games there. There's a lot up in the air. Like we don't really know what we're going to get out of Dallas uh, this year. What are we going to get year two? Mac Jones for New England, Washington on a short week on, you know, at home against the uh, commanders. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting stretch there. I think we'll learn a lot about the Bears between weeks five and eight. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like they'll, they'll go through that first quarter, probably two and two, like you said, and then then we'll learn about the team, right? They'll probably, the first four games, they'll lose to the teams they're supposed to lose to and beat the teams they're supposed to beat. But from there, it's hard to get a sense of, you know, are they supposed to beat the commanders? Will they be any good? Do the, the Patriots still be good? Like, so that, that's where, you know, the men will be separated from the boys a little bit more. Amen. Amen to that. And then we got uh, home for Miami, home for Detroit. That should be fun. Uh, at Atlanta, at the Jets. And when we talked over the summer, uh, I mean, it's still summer, but when we talk going into training camp, it's like Atlanta, the Jets, and Detroit, that's a three-game stretch where we should come away with some some easy wins, especially Atlanta and, and New York. It's nice that, like, the, the schedule on paper has those, like, little pockets of easy, you know, like, if, they, if, like, if it's a rough first two weeks where the 49ers just light them up for some reason, and, of course, the Packers do Packers things, we're going to be like, ah, oh, crap, this team is terrible. But then you beat the Texans, beat the Giants, feel a little bit better yourself. Then you go through the kind of 
mixed bag in the middle of the stretch. But then, you know, you get to the Jets and the Falcons and you can feel a little bit better yourself going in the late stretch of the season, right? There's, there's those little pockets of uh, relief sounds like a strong word, but pockets of confidence boosters before you get into other stretches of the season that are going to challenge you and, and stress you out a little more. Yeah. And then um, Green Bay in the rematch week 13 and then our week 14 by deep in the year. But the thing about that with Green Bay week 13 is that it begins a stretch where the Bears don't leave Soldier Field for a month because December, where they, they don't leave for the entire month of December, I should say. December 4th is Green Bay, by week, home for Philadelphia, home for Buffalo on Christmas Eve before we go to Detroit on, on New Year's Day. The entire month of December, the Bears don't travel uh, to, uh, to play a game. Uh, this year at that point in the season, especially against teams like Philly and Buffalo, that could be very important. Yeah. And, and hopefully it can, again, serve as like a stabilizing type thing that, okay, if, if there's been some rockiness along the way, let's, let's get comfortable. Let's get used to some things and slow things down and be our team at our stadium and play football the way we want to play in our weather and our conditions and our field and our wind and everything that other teams are going to struggle with in December. Yeah. And, and also that green Bay stretch is, four out of five home games to close out the year. Detroit being the only road trip on, on week 17, and then we're back home to close out the year with Minnesota in the elements instead of inside the dome uh, out in Minneapolis. So it's, uh, it's an interesting schedule. And, and that's why it's like when I look at this, even being as, as critical as humanly possible, I don't see less than five or six wins here. I, I just don't see how people can reconcile three and 14 for the Bears when they look at the schedule. Yeah, five is like the absolute four. Yeah. I, I, like there's, there's, there's four or five of those teams that are just like penciled in pretty much easy wins. Like unless, you know, you get some really important injuries. Like outside of like if you're just looking regular schedule predicting, it, it feels like intentionally obtuse to like put the Bears that that low. And at the very least, like you, you said with the interestingness of the schedule, even if they only win five games, I still think it's going to be – I don't know if I can call it a fun year, but like there's still interest and intrigue there. Like, even if they're three or four games below 500 at the midpoint or at the bye week or whatever, like there's still, I still feel like there's going to be reasons to watch and some, some feeling like in each and every game, this team is going to compete and fight hard and, and might win. Even if, you know, playoffs at some point don't become realistic. And, and honestly, Lauren, I want that above all else. when, when we're getting down to the nitty gritty at the end of the year, because for, honestly, for the last three seasons, my thoughts for the last three, four weeks of the year are, I can't wait for this to be over. You know, for someone who loves football and you and I, content creators, we live for this stuff. I can't wait for the season to end. I don't want to talk about this anymore. I want this to be over so I can look ahead uh, to the future and, and, and what's coming next as opposed to dwelling on this mess that we've had to endure for the last three seasons. Like, I'm hoping that at the end of the, you know, when we get down to those last four or five home games that, you know, the week 17 matchup against Detroit and stuff like that, that I still am intrigued in that when, when the gun, you know, hits, you know, sounds off to, to close the to Minnesota game. I'm sad that the season is, is over. I want to see this team keep playing as opposed to like, Oh, thank God that's over. Thank God it's over. We can just recap it and move on to next season. I don't want to feel that way anymore. I'm so sick of it, and, and I hope that this new regime can actually make me miss the end of the football season. We spend all summer and spring that we can't wait for football to be here, can't wait for football to be here, and it's, it's always the worst when you get to the end of the football season. You say, I can't wait for this to be over. Yeah, just, you know, six months later, you're going to be can't wait to be doing this again. Yeah, that's that's yeah. why we 
So, but yeah, I mean, it's like once free agency rolls around, then you start getting excited about the new season, the possibilities, everybody's zero and zero and all that kind of stuff. But three months, three months prior, as the season's coming to an end, it's just like how many goddamn days are left in this season? It's like how many more times do I have to talk about this? Do I have to do keys to the game and talk about the Bears? You know, well, actually, that's something we haven't talked about was number one, Things that plagued Nagy during his entire time, or at least 2019 and beyond, uh, was penalties and turnovers slash mistakes. Very few of that going on in those three games under Eberflus. It was like very disciplined football being played by our guys, which is another reason for my optimism going into the season. And limiting on the their own turnovers as well. Yeah. Or it's getting turnovers the other way. Yeah, it's it's like at the very least, this this Bears team is going to do the little things well. And yeah. Like, you're not going to be frustrated in that way. You might be frustrated because they're not as talented as the other team or whatever it might be, but like they're not going to frust- they're not going to beat themselves at nearly as much. And and that I can't even begin to tell you, man. How many times, especially when we played the Packers, how many times I emphasized that we're basically going to have to be mistake-free slash perfect or the, you know that the key to the game would be don't beat yourself. It's going to be hard enough beating the Packers straight up without you contributing to your own downfall, you know, without you, uh, you know, the, the pre-snap things and, and calling useless timeouts that we're going to need later uh, in the game, uh, that stupid holding penalty when we, <laughs> we actually held on third and eight, but that holding penalty, the extra five yards and an automatic first down. And how many times did that happen in games like that where the Bears just found a way to keep giving their opponents free stuff throughout the football game, you know, and contributing to their own demise. That's going to be the the clear measuring sign of, of this new Bears regime. That like that's It's been such a clear emphasis from them, and it was such a clear weakness last season. And at the very least, like that, that is the bare minimum, very least, what we have to see. I mean, there, obviously, we want to see a lot more than that, but that's what this coaching staff has been touting and guaranteeing, and it's what we saw in the preseason. So we, we should be in for a much... I'm much less pulling our hair out this regular season. All right, Lauren, I think that's going to do it uh, for us. We, we got it in under an hour, bro. It's, there's something wrong with us, I guess. I don't know. We, <laughs> we, we didn't do two hours and 50 minutes or anything like that. We, we got it done in 58 minutes, man. It, that's crazy. And you know, it's it's still the preseason, right? Still, I mean, yeah. that, that's at the end of the day, we're in preseason form on, on this podcast. That's how it <laughs> So, but, uh, yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll see what we can do about, uh, filtering you in, uh, throughout the year, because I, it's not exactly a mid season review, uh, when we're having you back week 14, uh, to talk about the first 13 games of the year. So maybe we'll do a, a quarterly thing or find a way to break it up into thirds or, or whatever to kind of, you know, uh, bring you back and, and, and not maybe so like, so let's talk about the first 13 games of the season. <laughs> now that we're at our bye week uh here how much time you got you know kind of thing so uh we'll see if we can get you back week four week five to review those games or uh heading into that uh that thursday nighter which uh uh, i'm already sick to my stomach over it's and then we get to do it again two weeks later against dallas that's just it's like okay just fine just get it over with please because i just like those are the games i'm going to be listening to on the radio like i don't want to watch this at all (laughs) just put me out of my misery so bad so bad. So, yeah, and especially with, with, with the possibilities that he could have had uh, and everything. Like, I don't know if you suggested it or if I was talking to somebody else about, like, an all-white helmet or a, a white helmet with a blue 
face mask, maybe even putting the the bear head itself on the side of the helmet on, on a white helmet, or hell, even on the orange one, as opposed to like this, the C on the helmet. I mean, not only is it an, a gross amount of orange on the helmet, the C just looks so bad in navy with the white trim. It just it looks terrible. There was so many things they could have done if they were going to go with the orange that they just went, you know, the wrong way on, on every choice there. It's like, did they did they hire a professional designer for that? Did George draw it himself? I mean, like, I just, you'd think, it, it just seems to break conventional design, but we, we don't have to get into the whole thing. Right, so, but anyway, we'll, uh, like I said, we'll find a way to, uh, to get you back, uh, to get you visiting a few more times, and instead of having to wait until mid-December to talk to you again, so... Uh, <laughs> But uh, in the meantime, where can we uh, keep up for, with, uh, with you and, and what you're up to these days? Yeah, of course. You can hear me five days a week on the Locked On Bears podcast, wherever you're listening to this podcast, or on YouTube as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at CoxSports1. All right, Lauren Cox, thanks so much uh, for coming in. Always a great time uh, talking Bears with you and uh, getting your reaction to uh, what our beloved are up to these days. Hey, anytime. Happy to do it. Always a great time when Lauren joins us. Be sure to follow him at Cox Sports One uh, on Twitter, I should say, and then uh, the Locked On Bears podcast you can find here wherever you're listening to this uh, and anywhere else that podcasts are uh, available. Uh, great guy, loving him, ha- love having him on the show. Like I said, we're going to see if we can uh, maybe break the season up into thirds or maybe even the quarters uh, to have him on the show a bit more often since this year's bye week isn't until week fourteen. So. Uh, see if we can get him in to uh, kind of quarterly review what's been going on with our beloved, especially in this all-important first year uh, of this new regime. So, um, but uh, be sure to follow him, listen to his show. It's always a good shot, uh, good show. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, we will be back on Thursday. Uh, we're going to have our first preview episode of the year on Thursday, and then Friday will be the very first. NFL preview episode. We're going to give that a shot this year and see how that goes. Talk about the week ahead for the entire NFL, not just for uh, our beloved Chicago Bears to kind of mix it up and uh, kind of give the league some context this year uh, as opposed to just talking about the Bears uh, only. So, you know, with no review episodes to, to, you know, to get us through Monday or Tuesday, first episode will drop on Thursday where our guest Robert Morrison from the Niners Noise uh, po- uh, blog will uh, or website, I should say, will uh, be our guest to help preview Bears 49ers for week one. And then, like I said, we will have uh, our uh, preview episode for week one. Oh, as a matter of fact, just uh, in case you hadn't remembered or you hadn't heard, uh, we're kind of going back to doing all-in-one episodes again. Instead of breaking everything up like, you know, one episode is our guest, the next episode is the preview we're going to do it all together, uh, you know, so the episodes probably be a little bit longer, but it's going to have everything in it. Keys to the game, news and notes, and our player uh, or and our guest interview will all be in one episode on Thursday. And then Friday, we'll have the deep dive with the league itself uh, to talk about the week ahead. And then when we come back with the reviews, 
Monday will be the review episode with Knee Jerk Reactions, uh, Bear Up and Bear Down, and the Deep Dive Review all in one. Tuesday will be the league review after Monday Night Football uh, comes out and all that kind of stuff, and then the pattern will repeat itself throughout the year. So it's an experiment. Let's see how this goes. Have a little bit of fun with it. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Looking forward to this year. For our beloved, for the entire league, and for the podcast, I want to thank you guys for always being here uh, to listen and uh, when I sit here and blather to myself in an empty room the way that I do. So uh, I appreciate uh, I appreciate it all. So be sure to follow me on the social medias at BTU underscore Larry on um, Twitter and Instagram and join the Bears Talk Underground group on Facebook as well to join in on the discussion. So be on the lookout for us on Thursday. We're going to preview Bears 49ers. And until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Bears Talk Underground. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate.